Hello, and welcome to the Willamette Common Law Podcast, Matters of First Impression series. I'm your host, Professor Kelly Gamble, Assistant Professor of Law and Director of Academic Excellence here at Willamette University College of Law. In the law, we sometimes refer to something as a matter of first impression, and that's when a case presents a legal issue that has never been decided by the court. It could be new to any court, or it could just be new to the courts in that jurisdiction. These cases, these matters of first impression, form the basis for how lawyers and judges and citizens will approach the same or similar issues going forward. In that spirit, we decided to call this series Matters of First Impression. It's designed to help you, someone who's never been to law school before, get to know what to expect when you arrive on campus in August. We'll talk about the law school and the courses you'll take in your first year, offer advice from fellow students, and share some local tips for Salem, too. These podcasts are meant to help you develop your approach to your next three years and to help you develop strategies to achieve the goals you set for yourself here at Willamette Law. We'll talk to several folks you'll meet when you arrive, including your fall semester professors. You'll learn a little bit about the classes you'll be taking, what your professors expect in the classroom, and tips for success in their courses and law school more broadly. In this episode, we'll talk to Dean Brian Gallini. Dean Gallini has been dean of our fair law school since 2020, which, as you all may recall, was a wild year to start something new. And for Dean Gallini, it was a bit of a trial by fire and ice here in the Pacific Northwest. So, Dean Gallini, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Dean, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been dean, where you're from, what you teach, things like that? So remarkably to at least me, uh, I have been a dean since, as you mentioned, 2020. I, I kind of shadow or soft started in the third week of March, which, as you also pointed out in your introduction, was quite a time uh, starting the toilet paper shortage. Everyone has their their recollection. <laughs> And and now uh, starting my my fourth year, I feel like I blinked. You know that first year, and I know we lived it together. But uh, from being in sort of the middle of of the pandemic to historic wildfires in the fall and uh, a forty year ice storm in the spring, and being at the epicenter of racial justice protests, we really we saw a lot and we learned a lot about about ourselves. And I certainly learned a lot about myself and my leadership style that year, and about my colleagues. So it was it was quite a year. But, but one I found, although challenging, deeply rewarding. Um, I am originally from Northern Virginia. I've bounced around quite a bit. Uh, I've kind of steadily made my way west. I got my academic start at uh, Temple University in 2006, was there for two years, and then joined the University of Arkansas in 2008 and moved into administration, uh, for better or worse, depending on who you talk with, in uh, 2014. And was in law school administration for six years in a variety of roles at the university there, and then transitioned here in uh, again in 2020. So when I am uh, when I'm outside of of the dean suite, I teach in criminal law and criminal procedures. So kind of a an array of whether it's the first year criminal law course, the investigative criminal procedure course, often called CrimPro One, or um, CrimPro Adjudication, often called CrimPro Two. Please don't ever call it bail to jail. Uh, we can talk about talk about why maybe when when folks are deeper in their law school careers. Um, and then in terms of uh, kind of hobbies, I've athlete uh, growing up, I still at least pretend to be one for an hour and change a day. Uh, I never never miss a workout and try to take seriously the advice I give around 
uh, illness, uh, wellness and uh, kind of personal time and, and spending time away from the school. What, uh, what are your favorite athletic activities? Well, so by maybe trade and training, I grew up uh, playing ice hockey and, and played in college and went on to coach at the uh, college level for 12 years. I've also coached um, the high school level and a little bit younger. And right now I've got two nine-year-olds, one of whom plays. And so I'm, I am not wired to be a 10 and under coach, but we are, we are working that out as we speak. I think uh, still being on the ice with him more seriously is really rewarding. A lesser known fact about me, uh, I was the uh, co-captain of my college ski team and raced slalom and less well, giant slalom uh, for a number of years. And a still lesser known fact, athletically, I was, I've done uh, amateur boxing for about a, a decade plus. So those are a, a handful of activities. But I think most people know me as a, as a runner. I either get seen around here or I'm demanding that students uh, get out and run themselves to get away from away from their studies. I've I've heard of quite a few dingalini spottings out in uh Good. out in the area local parks uh well it's you're it's an early runner I, I well that's true and it's interesting they're able to spot me typically i'm going so fast that it's, it's obviously it's, obviously it's hard to do it, it's so. a blur that's how they know right. it's, yeah good, yeah. good. <laughs> how does your background in athletics impact your work as a dean and as a professor i know you said it, you might not be suited for the 10 and under set but <laughs> but when you work with law students working. how does yeah, that working work? on it um i think so I kind of came into college coaching almost but in many ways by accident. I applied on a LARC this all the way back in 2006 to, I was moving from Northern Michigan to Philadelphia. I'd gotten the fellowship at Temple. I saw a posting for an assistant coach job at the University of Pennsylvania uh, for their college hockey team. And I thought, I'll just, you know, take a run at it. They were foolish enough to give me a shot. And uh, about eight games in, uh, Professor, we were terrible. We had been outscored. Uh, 43 to 13, as I recall, and the head coach was removed. And I got a call over a weekend and said, would you like to step in as an interim? And I, I was in my late 20s at the time. And I am a say yes personality. I think that's what opens doors. I said yes. And the next day, Monday morning at 6am, I was the interim head coach of the University of Pennsylvania. And I think that experience really like a tidal wave washed over me to start thinking about things I now take very seriously and give a lot of thought to around personal philosophy for leadership, around culture building, around helping uh, folks from an array of backgrounds defined broadly work together in a collaborative way toward a single goal. And, and what once was a very just reactive, again, kind of tidal wave is now something that really guides in a formative way the way I think about standing up my own leadership for for this law school. It's a real fire and ice theme here to, you know, <laughs> the way that you you took on the hockey team, the way that you started here at Willamette. That's true. Um I'm hoping there's not a there's not a third I think we could both third pass. series. Let's that's yeah. right. That's right. Um so trial lawyers have what we call a theory of the case, right? The story of why your side should prevail. And I know our listeners have already committed, but it's always nice to be reminded of your own good decisions. So what, for you, what's your theory of the case for Willamette Law? Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, but but more seriously, I mean, we are growing into 
the Pacific Northwest leading experiential law school doing cutting edge work across the curriculum. And whether that's most recently hiring the largest cohort of faculty in, in the institution's recent memory or investing in our current faculty by expanding research and teaching support, recalibrating our personnel policies to, to ensure that our investment in our faculty, who in turn invest in our students, uh, is durable. You know, no matter where you look around the institution, there's really this kind of investment and innovation mindset that I think all of it collectively adheres to the benefit of the student experience. And uh, you need to look no further than, than not just our faculty, but but the building itself, having revamped and uh, remodeled the building across a roughly two-year period and, and really rethinking at each incremental stage, how are we going to improve the lived experience of our students? So I know it's cliche for a dean to, to say it, but but it also happens to be true in this case that it's it's an exciting time to be a student, not just because of those things, but because of where we're headed during the time that the class of 2026 will, will join us. And in particular, I would flag that this is the class that stands to benefit from the historic first ever class that will have the opportunity to think about their licensure as an attorney differently. We've been for the past three plus years uh, engaged in leading conversations, not just here in the state, but, but nationally around reform to attorney licensure. And I think this class will have the chance to either raise their hand and pursue an experiential path to licensure, i.e. through us as a law school, or post-graduation through a supervised practice. And uh, no matter how you, how you think about that, that is truly a historic first because no other state can, can boast those differential pathways to support the student and to really help the student identify what's going to empower them for success in, in their legal careers. And will students hear more about those choices and what might be best for them when they arrive? So this goes to, I think, my own philosophy. I, I think there's only so much we can can throw at students in the first year. I guess my own wish for them is that they would know we're working on it quietly in the background so that when they wind down their first year, we'll be able to pause and talk through as they approach their second year of law school, how they want to reverse engineer their last two years in a way that supports their particular choice of licensure. So they'd have three choices at the end of graduating. They could earn uh, a traditional portable score through through the what we now know is, is the bar exam, or we now understand as, as today's bar exam. Uh, they could raise their hand at the end of their one a year and starting in their two a year, pursue this experiential path that would not conclude with them sitting for a bar exam. Or they could graduate and uh, say, I'd like at that point to raise my hand and be supervised with a current employer on a pathway to that supervised practice pathway, all of which, again, will, I would imagine, start talking to them about at the end of that first year of law school. Going back for just a second here, you talked about changes to the building. And I know that, you know, we work in in lots of important things that aren't the physical space. But do you have, do you have a favorite change you made to the building Um I know I do. I, 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 I'll save mine just in case it's the same one. But um, well, first of all, it's always a we. We work together on the building. I think my own, I guess, favorite change is in the main artery of um, coming out of the lobby and turning left and going into what I think of as kind of the highest energy portion of the building, where when 
classes are turning over, everyone's getting somewhere. And I find that really energizing. But along that hallway, uh, what were once the, the class profiles, which we've taken down and redistributed across uh, classrooms, we asked the community what they wanted to see in that space. And, and to try to figure out what to hang there, we specifically asked if there are any quotes that were inspirational to the community. And by community, I define that broadly, staff, faculty, and students. And we received a triple digit number of submissions from, from our community around what they thought should go in those hallways. And we turned around, pushed that back out to the community and required everyone to pick their top 10. That's what is now in the hallway. And so I really like walking through there because I always am energized to know that that's how our community sees itself day to day. It wasn't my pick. It wasn't any individual's pick. It was our pick. And I think that that part is, for me, the most energizing. And I I have the same pick. I, I love that main hallway. I love the art that's been brought in. It's bright and it's bold. And it, it like you say, energizes the hallway. And I'm someone who, I was like, I, I don't mind the class profile pictures. It's kind of fun to look at the faces from 50, 100 years ago. Um, but now that they're they're in classrooms and I can still see them when I want, yep. it it totally changes the way that people move through the building and and kind of the expectations we can have for ourselves in the hallway because we're not bound on both sides by you know 150 years of of history. We're we're looking forward. It makes it a much more forward moving space. So I I appreciate that. Um, let me let me let me get you another question here. So you're the dean. You've taught a class on leadership. You've written about leadership. You've talked a little bit here uh, about leadership. But what what should incoming students know about your leadership philosophy? Well, so. First of all, for me, it's something that I put a lot of intentional thought into. So I believe that a philosophy is fluid. It it should reflect kind of where you think about where you are today. And so I would encourage, as I as I do our faculty and staff, first I would encourage our students to develop a personal philosophy. So mine, which is my screensaver, and I can recite it in my sleep, is to bring my authentic best self. Uh, to each day with a goal of empowering everyone around me to be the best they can be. And that philosophy guides every decision I make and every approach that I have in a particular situation and all the sorts of curveballs that I get thrown in this role on a daily basis. Uh, and through that, you mentioned the law and leadership class. In that class, we actually walk through how to build a philosophy um, developing the words that really resonate with with each of us as individuals can help steward us into thinking about what characteristics we value and then ultimately how you reduce that into a sentence and then from your philosophy without getting you know too far down a rabbit hole but for your philosophy drives your values so once you have a philosophy you can start thinking about kind of what values underlie that philosophy and then from there you've got a real framework for how you process the various things that come in on a day-to-day, like what are you going to let take your energy and uh, how are you going to retain your energy? So I'm a big believer that our self-talk matters and the way that the day approaches us, we have more ownership and agency in than sometimes we think. That mental strength and that, that mental framework is what drives that. But if we don't have the framework, then we're kind of back on our heels, just reacting to the particular day. So for me, it's about having a philosophy and then living it too, so that 
that we can be up on our toes rather than back on our heels. I think that's a that's a great thing for law students to start practicing, even as students, because they are they are thrown lots of curveballs and fastballs and spitballs some days, right? <laughs> and and learning how to how to manage that so that they they aren't back on their heels, like you say, is is a really valuable skill for all developing attorneys. I think that's right. And I think that having a lens through which a student decides. Yes, this particular comment or scenario, I am going to permit to intrude on my energy and and shift my kind of emotional frequency or not. But I think really emphasizing that that is a choice is is a skill and and it's one that that can drive confidence, it can drive absence of confidence, but starting that conversation early is as you say, I think really valuable for law students. So in addition to deaning, you also regularly teach criminal procedure like you talked about, which is a a class for our two and three L students. So students that arrive are known as one L's, the first year of law school, and then our second and third year students are two L's and three L's. So you've written extensively in criminal procedure as well. Um, What interests you about criminal law and criminal procedure in particular? These are hard questions to do shortly. (laughs) So I think in brief, both both classes, um, lives are on the line. And this isn't uh, with with certainly no disrespect to my my friends and colleagues in, in the civil spaces, but this isn't, um, you know, Smith v. Jones in the case caption. This is the people of the state of New York. It's the Commonwealth of the state of Massachusetts. It's in the federal system. The United States of America against, and then the defendant's name. So the entire weight of societal resources are put at a single individual. And we, as lawyers, are trusted, regardless of which lens we come at it, prosecution, defense, or judiciary, to steward that individual's liberty. There is no other topic or course where when we step in to class time, someone's life is literally on the line. And I think that commands a level of respect. It commands a level of seriousness. And it also is a powerful reminder that we are a profession that when we graduate or licensed, we can take life, liberty, or property. And that class is the consummate example of that. And I guess for me, I got uh, interested in law school. I had for my own criminal procedure course, he's passed now, but Professor Yale Kamazar, widely credited as quote, the father of Miranda. And I was lucky enough to to have him in Crim Pro and it was very formative. I just want to, I want to clear up oh. real quick. When you say the father of Miranda, that's not a girl, you know, right? That's, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking to incoming students. So I just want to, I want to make clear Miranda is actually really, really important. Miranda yeah. v. Arizona. They know the warnings from TV, right? right. So, you have the right to remain silent. That's Miranda. Yes. Don't use that when you're called on in class though. Um, but, but he wrote a law review article, uh, that, that basically suggested that suspects should have particular rights in the interrogation room. And it was considered novel because there's nowhere in the bill of rights that says that. And the idea that we were going to create this through that case, Miranda v. Arizona, we're going to create these rights that really fascinated me because I thought as a student, I remember thinking, wait, it doesn't say that in the fifth amendment. So like, how does that work? 
And from there, that became my my focus, not just in law school, but then in practice, and then uh, moving into academia. And you know, I have offshoot niches and in interrogation methods, or consent searches, or police practices. But that's always been kind of my bread and butter as a scholar. But it all loops back to how to how power rests in the attorney. And because we are a school that proudly graduates a number of public servants, it's a it's a stewardship of that mission, that part of our mission that I take very seriously, not just as dean, but as faculty member. So let's talk a little bit about your classroom. I know every student I know that has been in your class, if, I, if I'm if i talking to them for just a few extra minutes in the hall, they said, nope, nope, uh, early's on time, on time is late. I, I have Dean Galini's class next. So can you talk to us a little bit about Kind of what do you expect in your classroom? How do you how do you organize a class? What's important to you um, in, during that that classroom time? Well, it's good that at least one of my phrases have made it into the, <laughs> into the hallways. Um, I guess first of all, there's I firmly believe there's no war between warmth and accountability. So I I strongly believe in that sense of accountability, that sense of being a, a self directed learner, that sense of taking ownership over your education. But I view it as, to some degree, my responsibility to help set up the fence posts to encourage students to reflect on how they're going to fulfill that that level of ownership or responsibility. So some of those fence posts, as you, as you point out, being early. Um, and, and I guess part of that is, for me, creating clear expectations and expectations of excellence that are predictable, are widely shared, and are easily understood so that when we step into class, we all are on the same page about what we expect, not just me to the student, but what the students can expect from me and correspondingly what we can all expect from one another. Done right after the first class or two, we're having really high level conversations because we know everyone's on time. Everyone's done the reading. We're going to move at a fast pace and we're going to be really, really energized in incredibly interesting material. So if I'm doing my job the right way, then students should be able to tell anyone who they're visiting with what their expectations are, or rather what my expectations of them are, but what they can expect of me so they know what to get out of the class. There shouldn't be any guesswork. Great. Um, What's something that you wish all incoming students knew? Maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's something you've seen students realize later in their law career that has an earlier is better value. Yeah. This is a great question. I think, first of all, it's hard to pick just one thing, but I guess I would say that just because something's hard um, or causes you to struggle doesn't mean you don't belong. And I guess for me, I would really, really want students to know that growth and comfort, they don't sit next to each other and that that's okay. And that sometimes, when you wake up and you do something that causes you to have that kind of pit of your stomach, I don't know that I, if I can do it sort of feeling that actually should set off a bell that that you're, you're actually, you're doing it right because we're stepping into spaces that are challenging you and you are stepping into spaces that challenge you. And that's how we grow. And so if I could sort of get into every student's, and this is an anomalous to our, our students, I mean, law students across the country, and just kind of tinker with brainwaves, hmm. I, I would rewire it to say, ooh, I should be on the lookout for that. I should be hunting for those moments of kind of 
thoughtful instability. I put myself in this position. That's the thoughtful part. Now comes the the instability. But I think that means not that you don't belong, but rather you do. Because that's a sign that you're doing it right and that you made the right choice. You're being pushed. I think that's great. I mean, everyone comes to law school because they they want that for themselves. Yes. It just it it's occasionally tiring by the end of October on a day-to-day basis. Right. But um just reminding themselves to to be in that, that growth space yes. um, can make all the difference. But because we also need them to be in that space when they graduate. They, we are graduating change makers, people who we are trusting. Once they walk across the graduation stage, we'll implement the ideas and argue for the change that we desperately need in society. It's not going to be us, right? This is our opportunity to help influence them. But we trust our graduates to be that next wave of change. And what's and this is this is maybe a related question, but what's something that you wish all incoming students thought about as they began law school? I know we've talked a little bit about that over the course of of our time together. Um, but do you have one other one other thing they yeah. should think about right at the beginning? I think I think sometimes in good faith, we either push or students push themselves to think about a precise area of the profession they want to go into. And I would encourage students to kind of take that that weight off their shoulders and think a little bit more about maybe the values that are important to them and the sorts of reasons why they came to law school and the sort of contribution they think they want to make. Because there will be good days, they'll be bad, but having a sense of, of why you're here and what you want to accomplish will carry you through either direction of those days, but simultaneously will allow for some of the fluidity to explore all of the curricular backyards that that we've worked so hard as a faculty to create for students. So really thinking about the why and those values in order to expand kind of the horizons of students to, to really think about what classes or areas they might be interested in. And I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind because in the first year, all our students take the same set of core classes. And that's true, not just at our institution, but across the country, there's a there's a core set of what we call 1L classes. Right. Um, so they're not having to make decisions about specialty just yet. It's really a great time to be open and sample all of your all of the, the main areas to think about where where else you might want to want to explore in that second year and third year. And, and we have so many great electives taught by not just our full-time faculty, but by you know practitioners and judges. And um, and there's a lot of room to explore, I think, in our curriculum. It's really well said. And I guess one last thing on that, I'd love to just put a seed in in students' minds that that ad drop period in their 2L and 3L years, whether it's fall or spring, is such a wonderful way to just parachute into a class to see if it's something they'd enjoy and pull the chute to get out or to lock in and say, this is a class I want to be in. But but really trying to think about that upper level curriculum kind of like a buffet line so that they can think through what it is that they'll enjoy or not. So, Dean, a lot of our students aren't going to be from around here, and they're going to spend a lot of time studying, a lot of time studying. In fact, the ABA says, what is it? How many hours for every hour in class should they be studying out of class? Dean Galini's holding up three fingers right now, and he's right. It's three, three hours outside of class for every one hour you spend in class. That's the expectation the American Bar Association has for your study habits. 
during that time that they're not in class and they're not studying and they just want to enjoy Salem. What's your what's your hot Salem tip? Do you have a, a restaurant you like, a, a recreation, a convenience, something you really enjoy here? Well, all of the above. And then I'll I'll, I'll do you one better and toss out regional stuff I love. So here in Salem, my favorite running route is through Minto Brown, uh, which is a park essentially attached to Salem that's walking distance to the law school. Spectacular nature preserve that's along the Willamette River. Amazing sunrises through all four seasons in the spring. Uh, they actually, folks in there who steward the parkland raise bald eagles, and you can see them when you're running uh, through the spring, which is the first time I've ever seen one close up. I saw one last weekend. I I saw a group of people stopped and I, I was going to go around them and I thought, oh no, are they going to, are they looking for something like to the side? No, they said, we're looking up there, up there. And sure enough, there was a bald eagle up there. It's amazing back there. Um, And we do a mental health run uh, in October. I lead back there, would love to have uh, any and all students who are interested of, of any running ability, fast or slow or or medium. Um, But then uh, uh, running aside, Downtown is, of course, loaded with coffee shops and restaurants. And my two favorites for um, for lunch uh, would be if you want a really quick lunch, La Margarita is fantastic. A slightly longer uh, term lunch would be Ritter's. And then uh, In-N-Out Coffee is, is Archive. And all three of those are within a block or two of, of the law school. And then regionally, we're in a spot that I still find fascinating. My first year here, uh, you know, the world is closed down. My boys are in remote kindergarten, which P.S. is not a thing. Oh, boy, was I, that bad. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's nowhere to go, except we stumbled on uh, downhill skiing. And whether they wanted to go or not, we were going because they needed to get out of the house. <laughs> and so in the spring of at back then in 2021, on a Saturday in March, we took them to Hoodoo, which is about an hour and a half ride. And then on Sunday, we took them to Neskowin which is about an hour and 20 minutes. And I still am befuddled how on Saturday you can be in the snow, but on Sunday we were at the beach. Yeah. So Neskowin is, it's the beach with the little stream. Correct. Where they can't drown. Uh, that's right. That's that's one of our favorites too. <laughs> so. so just, I think, encouraging students to to recognize what a benefit it is to, to study law in this place that sure we're walking distance to fun stuff, but this region is just spectacular in so many places that are close by to explore and step away when time permits. Did you, have you had a chance to check out the, the tubing for, for those folks that maybe aren't great on skis over near Hoodoo? I know it exists. We have not been, but, okay. but I'm, I am told that it's quite a large, uh, I think they call it the Autobahn park. Yeah. It's a, it's a good time. So for those of you who are a little nervous about getting up on skis, <laughs> sit on an inner tube and, and get pushed down the hill. That, that is maybe even, just as fun. So that's great. Uh, okay. Well, thank you, Dee Galini, for your time and your wisdom today. Thank you. For uh, I really me. appreciate you coming on. Well, and I, I appreciate uh, your leadership in constructing the series. Our students are really fortunate, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of them. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We're just getting started with our Matters of First Impression series. Be sure to check back for more in the coming weeks in the Willamette Common Law podcast feed. Until then, I'm Professor Gamble. I hope you're having a great summer.